this week on page 180. I'll be calling up some friends as we take a look at the huge premiere of brand new HBO show, The Last of Us. Plus, I'm going to have movie reviews of Till, A Man Called Otto, Empire of Light and Megan. And I'm also going to take a look at the new Netflix show, Kaleidoscope. All that and more, still to come. You're very welcome, guys, to the first, well, it's the second episode, but the first kind of proper episode of Page 180, because obviously the first one was a pilot episode, just to kind of give you a taster of who I am, what we've got planned, and kind of what my tastes are, so you can see if it's the kind of show for you, and... Would you look? You're back. You came back. You got off the plane. Um, I appreciate it, guys. Thank you very much for uh, for staying tuned, subscribing, following, whatever you've done. If you've participated as well, uh, really appreciate it. It's so heartening, kind of coming into a new project because again, I've had this idea. I finished my last podcast project, which some of you will know, uh, Low Blows, uh, some of you won't, or will only have heard the name and not listened. Um, I finished that at the end of 2021, and basically been planning this for around a year now. And you know, you, you, you take a year and you've got a fairly good idea of what you want to do, but then it comes out to releasing it, and then it's like, well, do people actually accept it? Do old Low Blows listeners kind of come on board because we're not talking about wrestling anymore do newer listeners or people who know me or may have wanted to listen to stuff is this actually the kind of content that they have space in their life for and fortunately a lot of answers that I got to that was yes and I'm incredibly appreciative um seeing old names pop up seeing new names pop up seeing people get involved and Kind of guys, like again, we're going to start the show as we call it normal this week, but I know the Drill Podcasts have done them since 2008, 15 years now. There is no normal podcast, it's going to be ever evolving, um, we're going to change things up as we go along, we're going to find things that work, we're going to drop things that don't, uh, and we're going to have a lot of fun along the way. Um, so I'm glad you can be here on this journey with me, I hope you'll stay uh, involved and I'll hope you kind of get involved yourself, like so do, please. Get involved in the socials at Page180Pod on Instagram, TikTok I'm going to be starting soon, God help me, uh, and Twitter as well. Uh, so please get involved and, and kind of have your voice said because yeah, that makes it a conversation and a back and forth. First question for you guys, how was your how was your Christmas and New Year's? Let's start with that old chestnut. Let's get all the kind of the, the boring Christmas small talk out of the way while we're here and, and just say the generic things they always say, Asher, it always goes too fast and Asher... Look, isn't it nice to get the few days off? <laughs> the conversations, I'm sure you're sick of having. Um, for me, mine was like kind of typical. Christmas is Christmas, but like we all have our own individual kind of traditions or things that we do uh, over the space. I always consider it like like everything up to say December 18th in your life is normal, and that's kind of a regular. If it's a TV show, it's like the regular series. But then, like as soon as the 18th hits, or you kind of your out of office message goes on and work you kind of go into the Christmas special of your life and like the rules that like you kind of speak to people that you'll only speak to at Christmas like certain family members or whatever um, but also as well you like you'll you kind of go into the traditions or the, the things that you have that you only do at Christmas and just pick up where you left off as if like that version of your life as soon as January 6th of the previous year ended uh, just stopped and then you just picked it up as if it was the next day uh, on December 19th some of my 
traditions involve like I'll always kind of start like try work on new projects because I have the bit of downtime and that was obviously this was was a big part of that and was the big project that I kind of launched this year but also as well I'll always try and binge TV shows like so the kind of big shows that I've missed or that I've been meaning to catch up on you know the way you always get recommendations and I'm gonna be that person giving you new recommendations now and you're like yeah yeah I'll add it to the list I've got about 15 other shows ahead of it that's where I try and catch up where I'll never get to the end of that list but I'll at least be able to take one or two off so while we're here I may as well talk you through because they're not new releases they're stuff that everyone's either been watching or they're old or they're kind of going out I caught up on two shows that were HBO shows one that was big um, in 2021 and one that was bigger this year as well first off uh, was Station Eleven uh, it was a mi- it's a mini series that was adapted for TV by Patrick Somerville which is based on the 2014 Emily St. John Mandel novel of the same name um, it's kind of a post-apocalyptic saga which throughout several different timelines looks at society's reaction to and rebuild from a devastating flu epidemic which is basically the worst case scenario COVID like imagine it went where at the start of COVID we kind of feared that it would and obviously the story was written in 2014 so they didn't know that COVID was going to happen but because the TV show was made during COVID, they were able to kind of adapt a lot of the ways that they treated it. We'll talk you through kind of what my thoughts on the show were. But first off, I'll kind of give you a clip that'll indicate like what to expect from the show. Uh, so here's a clip of Station Eleven. Turn on the engines! I can't do that. Why not? I'm tired of that answer. Oh! You should have listened. You idiot! You need him to survive! Goodbye, Eleven. See your light. See it? You can kind of pick up from it there that there's a real contrast to styles. Like there's at one stage, so that clip there is they're performing a play that the child Kirsten, the main character, who you kind of follow throughout two points of her life, and both of the actresses who play her are excellent, Matilda Lawler and Mackenzie Davis. So the story starts, and no spoilers here, but the story starts with Jeevan, who's played by Himish Patel, and, and Kirsten end up getting stuck together, just through happenstance. I won't give you the, the full details. And he's trying to make sure that she gets home safely before they know anything's gone wrong. But as he's taking her home, they realise something horrific is happening, and they kind of get a clue that shit's hitting the fan and 
it just unravels there. Kirsten is an actress at the time. She's a young kind of child actor um, playing in, in, in a theatre. And so that's why she's kind of one of her coping mechanisms throughout the, the apocalypse is writing a play that's based on a comic book that she read, Station Eleven, which is where the show obviously gets its title. The little bits in between are where the plot comes in, so I won't tell you the hows and the whys and whatnot. But also as well, like kind of what what stands out about it is it's different from a lot of post-apocalyptic shows in that it focuses on the more positive aspects of it. Now, that's not to say that it's like, hey, you know what? Maybe it'd be best if a lot of people died of a serious disease. That's not what the show says. That would be ballsy, and I might be interested in seeing what that show could have to say about that subject, but that's not what this is. This doesn't shy away from the horrific realities of a a disastrous kind of pandemic like happens in the show or like COVID and whatnot it kind of it goes there but at the same time where it ends on is it chooses to kind of avert its gaze and perspective on the hope and humanity that can come from within that it's a brilliant brilliant show because it's so different like even have and like as you'll know like we're focusing on The Last of Us I love my post-apocalyptic kind of TV shows and stories and video games and whatnot I don't know why it's just something that's always got me maybe it's a, a topic for me to discuss with my therapist but the end of the world is something that fascinates me and even when COVID happened it was something that I was almost like obviously it's horrific and and I actually lost people during COVID as well which is obviously devastating but there was also a part of me that was like it's happening and it's not excitement but it's like almost in a zombie land type way I've been like I've been preparing for this so I love these kind of shows I enjoy them and I get a lot out of kind of thinking what would you do in that scenario but the thing is with these shows and The Last of Us is one of these where they'll always kind of assume the worst of humanity and they'll assume that kind of immediately everyone's gonna start murdering each other everyone's gonna like you know shit's gonna hit the fan everyone's gonna break out into little clicks and it's all gonna go horribly And again, while it doesn't say, and you can get a bit of that from the clip, uh, that there is kind of horrific elements to this, um, and a stark reminder of kind of what it would be like living in a a world where society is broken down, it also kind of, and as we've experienced through COVID, we saw that there's a lot of times where we band together and we work together as a society, and there's an awful lot of times where we fall apart. And this kind of goes into both, but also at the same time, the, the end result is that like it, it chooses to be positive and chooses to believe that humanity is ultimately better off and, and, and wants the best, even if kind of sometimes we'll do things in a way that is kind of inspired by fear that that, that situation can provoke. The show is, it's, it's weird, it's intense, it's deep, it's joyous at times, it's unapologetically itself in delivering a completely fresh take on the end of the world. The show came out in 2021, like I said but if it had been released last year it likely would have been close to if not top of uh, my year end list of best TV shows it is that good uh, and it's available now if you want to watch it over uh, in, in Ireland or the UK uh, on Lionsgate Plus which is a small streaming website but it's only 5 euro uh, and a 10 episode you'll zip through it so if you just want to get it for the month it's well worth your time the other show I binged this Christmas was uh, a bit of a lighter note uh, one that everyone's been talking about the entire world has been on it and I'm like right okay Obviously, I've missed a boat on this. So, quite literally, I stepped into the boat and I travelled all the way to the White Lotus. Here's a clip. I'm a very needy person. And I am deeply, deeply insecure. This is... Mm-hmm. Both my parents mentally abused me and... And... 
And my mother still tortures me, and she's dead. And I still have her ashes. I carry them around. So now you see, that's the core of the onion. I, is that ready? <laughs> this is it. This is the core of the onion, and I don't want to. I want you to get out of here and save yourself, because I'm just like a, I'm like a dead end, you know, that just has a trap door, and I think you should get out. I don't want you to take these things. Oh. I want you to take them. I want you to get them. <laughs> I'm not going to take your dead mother's ashes. I want you to get them out of here. What the fuck am I supposed to do with them? I don't know. Put them in the drug of your car. Just get them out of here. You can put them in a trash can. You're fucking crazy. And so I am. And I, there's nothing I can do about it. Please get out. Please get out. Greg, I told you to get the fuck out. No. So if you, like me, um, a few weeks ago, were just like, I don't know what this is, but everyone in work and everyone in my life is seemingly talking about it. But again, I don't know where to start or where to jump in. The White Lotus is basically, it's written by and created by Mike White. And he takes you on holiday with the super rich in a luxurious chain of tropical resorts. The cast switches focus in different series. So like in series one, they're focusing on a different set of characters and a different resort. Although there's some crossover, particularly in uh, Jennifer Coolidge's iconic Tanya McQuad, who is the the HBO 2022 remix of Hyacinth Bouquet. Um, she is absolutely phenomenal. If you don't know Jennifer Coolidge, you do know Jennifer Coolidge. Uh, otherwise better known as Stifler's mom from uh, American Pie. But uh, again, she was wasted in that compared to what she's done here, which is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, and, and that's Jennifer Coolidge playing in the clip you could hear there. Uh, it is the prototypical HBO show in so many ways. It's filthy, it's scandalous, and it's absolutely wild in the best kind of way. The cast kind of takes people that you know from one or two different roles and characterizes them so uniquely and basically grows their roles and makes them into real people, but real complex people with issues that kind of get stretched out in a way that those issues only kind of do when you're on holidays and you have space and time to just be and sit with yourself. So you've got the likes of Michael Imperioli, who you'll know as uh, Chrissy from The Sopranos. He plays a womanizing Hollywood producer. You've got Aubrey Plaza, who's probably best known for her part, uh, for her part in Parks and Recreation. She plays a kind of up, uptight sex star of housewife. And also gives us new stars in the likes of Murray Bartlett's Armand, who is phenomenal in this, or Beatrice Grano and uh, Simona Tabasco who play a pair of Italian prostitutes that I frankly watch an entire series about. Season 2 got the headlines for its murder mystery and theorising that kind of came around it because it did kind of drop a lot of breadcrumbs that allowed the audience to kind of theorise as the series went on and I guess that's kind of what inspired my interest as you know if you listen to the pilot episode I love a series like this where you can kind of theorise around it but obviously although I wasn't there to take part I doubt anyone guessed how it would actually go down even if you guessed the general outline of the plot it's a HBO show and the climax was absolutely wild and unpredictable in the end uh, and, and slightly hilarious without spoiling anything 
for me though, even though season two is the one that kind of blew up and everyone started watching, I actually preferred season one, not to be too hipster about it. Because for me, they had a richness of characters across the board. Like So ultimately, what this is, is a show that points a mirror back at ourselves and how we reveal ourselves. Like I said, when we're given that time and lack of distractions when we go on holidays. And when, when the show is at its best, it's when it's really getting into the weeds. And what that requires is strong characters with deep, lived-in dynamics that we also instantly understand like we see the people and we're like yeah they're that couple or they're that family and you can kind of guess where it is and they play to 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 kind of type and then what that allows us to do is it allows us to buy in and get involved in the kind of the little decisions that they're making that ultimately unravel into the thrilling climaxes because otherwise if you don't have that what we're watching is we're watching spoiled Karen customers whining constantly because their luxury room wasn't the one they thought they were getting so with that then you have to either love being on holidays with these people and spending time with them or you have to love to hate them and root for their bullshit to get called out which they give you a bit of both in here season one totally gets this and White pulls off the absolute masterstroke of giving us a tech billionaire family that kind of is the main focus of season one that has loads of little internal strife between it as all families kind of do uh, to work through to keep things constantly engaging again this is something which is grounded in reality ultimately though it goes to fantastical elements by the end of the show so it has to be just a normal holiday and things have to unravel and that's why giving us a family where again they have their little arguments their spats their now na- their dynamics their favorites and this and that and the other that's a great place to start Th- that isn't to say the season two is bad i absolutely love the mystery element of, of myself and when you get to kind of episode four onwards I couldn't stop binging it I think I watched the last four episodes back to back to back um but the first few episodes for me felt a bit samey because the characters just were who they were and kept repeating the same toxic patterns which is very true to life but for me it lacks the friction that's needed for a show like this when things do reach a climax though it's incredible and I cannot wait for season three to go back on holidays with whatever insane holiday goers Mike White is cooking up as we speak. Um, also, without spoiling it, I love how the story doesn't feel the need to give us a clean ending in either of the series where everyone who's nice lives happily ever after and everyone who's bad gets what they deserve. It's messy, it's like real life and you can kind of rely on that that it's not just going to be a nice clean ending with that. The characters and their decisions are complicated and true to who they fundamentally are so if you buy into them you'll buy into this. I highly recommend it. The White Lotus, I think it's gone off Sky at the moment but it's no doubt going to pop up on a streamer soon or if you want you know find an American cousin or something who might have access to it then uh, see what you can do Uh, but definitely I recommend check it out so that's what I watched over Christmas now let's move on to the new releases let's talk about some movies and uh, what I've been watching in 2023 so far What's wrong, Mamie? We've never been apart this long. He's just going to see his cousins. It's not a bad thing for him to know where he come from. Chicago is all he needs to know. I don't want him seeing himself the way those people are seen down there. Those people like me? Even you left Mississippi, Mama. 
Mamie, Bo is growing up. You're going to have to let him go. That was a clip from Till, the new movie from Chinoya Chukwu, which is in cinemas now. Every January, I've got a few different rituals, as we all do when it comes to the new year kicking in. So for me, things that scream January to me are stuff like the World Art Championship Final. For wrestling fans, they'll know about New Japan Wrestle Kingdom is always on the 4th of January. I traditionally get fat enough over Christmas to go back to the gym. It's the start of the NFL playoffs. And also, another tradition that I have on January is I have to watch movies about how horrific America's racial history was. That's not to be glib about a serious subject but the point is that this happens in January because it's award season and these movies unashamedly exist for the purpose of giving those involved a shot at awards as educating America on its awful awful past. So because it's a serious subject I think it's important we hold movies like this to account to tell their stories well and not feel pressure to praise them because the source material is so stark. With that said Till is a really uneven movie about a seriously compelling true story that makes it worth watching on balance but almost laughable at other times. The story tells of Mamie Till Bradley and her son Emmett Till who she calls Bo. He's a black 14 year old Chicago born teenager that's largely been shielded from racism who goes on a trip to visit family who pick cotton in 1955 Mississippi. Without spoiling for those who don't know the true story even though the kind of inspiration for it is one of if you know a lot of information about the American Civil Rights Movement the, the picture that came of it is one of the most iconic pictures that kind of turned the balance of the Civil Rights Movement movement and opened a lot of eyes to it uh, but suffice to say if you don't know the true story it is not a feel-good movie about an amazing summer holiday in 1950s Mississippi so first off let's start with the problems I'm just going to rip the plaster off on this, even though it mightn't be popular or necessarily a nice thing to say the performance of Bo isn't very likable I feel that they read he was like such a happy child who loved music, dancing and performing and just made him into an overconfident Billy Barry type kid. You know the type who performs on the toy show who are just way too confident that they're actually a bit annoying? And that's not to say that what ends up happening is any less horrific as a result, but the problem is that at one point, Mamie turns around and says to one character, you didn't know this was going to happen, and all you can think watching it is, how didn't you know this was going to happen? Because this movie just tends to move from racist incident to racist incident, and it doesn't seem concerned exploring stuff like why characters make the decisions they do. We don't actually get an explanation for the basic questions like, why did Mamie let Bo travel without her to a place she knew was incredibly dangerous for him. I'm sure in real life there was probably very good reasons we know from what she went out and did in the aftermath of all that happened that Mamie is a very intelligent and switched on person so I'm sure she had her reasons but the clip that you heard there at the start is the entire discussion around what turns out to be a very important question. Till just has no time to explore it because it seems in a rush to get to the more harrowing stuff so that they can put on award show reels. If you don't get into the whys though you become very aware that this is a movie and start to get cynical. This undermines the actors' performances because if they're pushing themselves to their limits, but the, the film itself is making that seem ironic, it comes across as, okay, one, two, three, and uh, well, inconsolably. And if you're sensing frustration here, that's because there is really compelling stuff in here too. Danielle Deadweiler's powerhouse performance of Mamie deserves awards consideration, particularly for a hugely powerful one-shot scene that the movie builds up to and absolutely delivers on. 
But instead of taking time to ensure that the story was told as effectively as possible, it feels like there was either a rush to get it out in time for award season, or they just felt like they had all the boxes already ticked. These stories do deserve spotlight. It's important that they're told, particularly today, and particularly to an America who recently elected a man who rubbed shoulders with known KKK associates to the presidency. But it's important that they're told with the right motivations and priorities in mind so that they're effective and not just to garnish the walls of those who make them with gold. Hi. So we wanted to properly introduce ourselves because, you know, we're going to be neighbors and everything. So, yeah. okay. So. Okay. Okay. Bye. Are you always this unfriendly? I'm not unfriendly. Okay, you're not. No, 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 no. You're not unfriendly. Every word you say is like a warm cuddle. A Man Called Otto is Tom Hanks' latest, adapted for English language by David McGee from the fr- Swedish novel come movie A Man Called Uwe and directed by Mark Foster. Hanks plays, unsurprisingly, A Man Called Otto, uh, who we meet as a grump, referring to everyone he meets as an idiot and never turning down the opportunity to hold someone to account or have an argument. Personal tragedies and changing times have kind of caused Otto to disconnect from the world, at least until a new neighbour Marisol, played by Mariana Trevino, moves in with her family across the road. This film has echoes of the likes of Christmas Carol, It's a Wonderful Life, and Ricky Gervais' Afterlife, so it makes it a really nicely timed movie in terms of capturing the mood of the people that are watched in terms of its release date. We find Tom Hanks himself at an interesting crossroads in his career too. He seems to be slowly transitioning into the later years Robert De Niro phase of his career, where all the great new scripts are going to Timothy Chalamet, and... Hanks is either an A-list support act for someone, as in Elvis, or lending his gravitas to try drag a script that's come from the second round draft pick of scripts by leading from the front. However, for someone whose name was once associated with quality, he's probably had more misses than hits as of recent times. Fortunately, this isn't one of them, as he works as Tom Hanks' magic to take what could have been just a smalty nonsense movie and gives it meaning. That isn't to say that it isn't cheesy and schmaltzy, it absolutely is and is by no means a perfect or classic movie. Some of the characters, like the over-enthusiastic power walker neighbour Jimmy, are hamming it to the max and eye-rolling. And there are subplots such as that of a trans child Otto gets to know, or the evil realtors that are just shoehorned in and come across as box-thinking, or only there as manufactured set pieces to get our characters to where they want them to be. Whereas, if you want to tell them stories, I think you should actually take the time to tell them stories and go into it. But again... That's not what the movie's about, so again, it just feels like they just had to get an extra subplot in. It's a blatantly emotionally manipulative movie, but when the lead performances by Hanks and Trevino are as effective and compelling as they are, you are happy to be manipulated. It's like watching an elderly couple on first dates. As soon as you see them bring up their past and the sad music kicks in, you know where this is going, but you're also in floods of tears within seconds and rooting for them to succeed and be happy. And that's what this is, and it's so unapologetic about it that you can't help but just buy in and enjoy you're not even mad at it it's not going to be the best movie of the year it's not necessarily a tom hanks classic it may not even be a movie that you re-watch or hear me speak about again but if you fancy a good cathartic cry and to spend a couple of hours with an on-form tom hanks this is one that won't let you down why not because it's pointless they turned me down the first time to study what architecture Oh, that would be wonderful. Yeah. But you have to try again. 
Yeah, maybe. But you can't just give up. Stephen. Don't let them tell you what you can or can't do. No one's going to give you the life you want. You have to go out and get it. You can't stay here. Empire of Light is Sam Mendes' writer-director follow-up to 1917, starring Olivia Colman as the depressed duty manager of the Empire Cinema in Margate in 1981. We meet Colman's Hillary at a point in her life where she seems very much a passenger as her existence is lonely, samey and quite dull as well, at least until the Empire brings in a new employee, Stephen, and that's where things begin to change. This, for me, is very much a movie of two halves. The first half is near perfect cinema that had me from boxes of opal fruits and kind of the nostalgic pangs that it injected into the movie. Roger Deakins should be a hot favourite for Oscars for his cinematography work here to put you right into 80s Margate. Even if you never experienced 80s Margate, you somehow feel nostalgic for it in a way that Belfast made me nostalgic for uh, Troubles Time Belfast. A superb supporting cast as well, starring the likes of Colin Firth and Toby Jones, make this feel fully lived in and realised in a way that makes you not only understand the characters, but also kind of want to be in their little dysfunctional but warm little staff canteen with them. This may be my favourite Olivia Coleman performance too. She's absolutely crackling at every turn and Hillary gives her the chance to play every emotion to its fullest while also keeping Hillary the charming and relatable character that we need her to be to anchor the film's many themes. Her chemistry with Michael Ward-Steven is excellent too as the pair manage to realise a complex relationship that on paper you'd go, I don't know if that's going to work, but because the two are so great together, it ends up working. The issue with the movie, ironically considering how cinematic it looks and that it in itself is a love letter to cinema, is that it is a movie. Mendes tries to squeeze in a lot to this because we knows we only have a limited time of characters. This isn't going to be some a movie with multiple sequels or a franchise. It isn't IP. It's a passion project and a one and done. So as a result, Mendes is trying to get everything he wants to say about this period of life into it, such as the transformative escapist power of cinema to distract from life's woes, the 80s struggling to deal with racism and mental health openly, the patriarchy. That's a lot of themes for a movie to clock in and understand two hours and that's kind of a problem in trying to do everything it can't fully succeed at hitting any of the topics sufficiently but another problem with that is that we don't really want it to there's a scene in it where characters are put in physical peril that just feels a bit shark jumpy for me for example the film itself thrives when we get to just spend time with the characters and watch them suddenly try to navigate the day-to-day mini speed bumps that they're going through. In that way, it'd almost be a better television show that allows you to spend ample time with them and each week tackles one small plot at a time. Mendes understands that it's best though when we're spending time with the characters and even as the movie tries to take swings, it always ends up coming back to the relationship. So as I left the film, I saw a couple of people dabbing their eyes as one character had earlier in the movie uh, when watching a movie and they were convinced to try and kind of immerse themselves into it and I got the appeal this worked and if and got you on that core fundamental level in the same way that like a Belfast that I discussed earlier did it's not perfect but if the reason for it not being perfect is that I just wanted to spend more time in it then that's ultimately successful the idea for the series started from a structural place. Action. I thought with batch delivery, you're getting everything at once. There's no reason, conceptually, why you should have to watch them. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. 
you're going to see a different order than I'm going to see, than my mother's going to see, than my wife is going to see. This is the most secure vault maybe in the world. I loved how unusual it was. And my first thought was, well, that's a great gimmick. Thank God it is also really well written. There is no one that can get inside this vault unless I want them to. Kaleidoscope is the new Netflix experimental show headed up by Giancarlo Esposito and Rufus Sewell about a heist 25 years in the making told in 8 different episodes where you can watch in whatever order you like at least that's what they say in the clip I decided to use uh, an explainer Netflix put out about the concept rather than a clip of the show itself because truth be told the concept is what they're trying to sell you on and more interesting than giving you just a clip of the show itself also it's kind of funny to me to hear one of the actors call it a gimmick which it very much is then do their professional duty and add a caveat to say that it's totally really well written which unfortunately it's not i've watched the first four episodes and in all honesty i'm probably not gonna go back this is and you'll hear me complain about this a lot on the podcast it's a standard netflix project it's big it's loud it's not the least bit subtle and it's expensive and it's star-led as well there's also shades of reservoir dogs here right down to each episode being color-coded as the characters in that wear one episode in particular is almost a carbon copy of the movie but where it mainly differs from reservoir dogs is that reservoir dogs is good the problem is that To give the concept a chance, I had to disconnect from the show itself. So again, the concept is you can watch the eight episodes in any order you like. You choose the order. Uh, So like the creator said, he's going to watch it in a different order to his wife, to his mom, to everyone else around him. And they're going to have a different experience, which again, sounds like an interesting plot. When you actually put that into practice, though... I had constant anxiety about if I was doing it the right way or not, or if I'd missed something and the content wasn't really gripping enough to pull me out of that anxiety. There was a lot of, like, focused group approved banter that I've only ever seen really work in Marvel movies, and it's getting really tiresome at this stage to see what it can feel like as every show and movie try it now. Uh, With that whole, like, just calling out and trying to be meta and trying to kind of have banter with the characters that have clearly no chemistry but the movie's trying to force it they also had stuff like to illustrate how copy and paste the show is there's a sympathy for the devil montage and you're just like yeah like every cheesy action movie has this these days it's just part of it there's like literally a bargain going on cameo if you want to use sympathy for the devil in your movie there you go uh you go ahead despite these concerns because they've got Giancarlo Esposito though so you're like right okay this is Gus Ring this is Moff Gideon this is Stan Edgar this is a man who in any project he does these days does not miss and somehow this show reduces them to a generic action trope. My favourite movie is Pulp Fiction. It's a movie where a character will die and in the next chapter you'll have them just chilling in the background. So I'm fine with stories that play with time and don't go chronologically. The issue is that the show is looking to fix a problem that I don't think actually exists. I don't think any of us have ever watched a show and thought, you know what, there's actually too much structure here. This story is actually told in a way that makes so much sense that I'm actually, I actually don't like it. What the creators don't seem to understand is that even in the likes of Pulp Fiction there is structure. Pulp Fiction for example starts with one of the most exciting table setting scenes in cinema history then it gets into the exciting incident that's going to change our characters forever then it jumps for a funny exciting detour where we go off with Bruce Bruce Willis and his wife and then it gets back into the consequences of the initial scene because that's where you get the character's emotional punch and it's most fitting for the movie to end whether it happens in chronological order or not. That's what made it interesting 
interesting because you can still have structure without relying on time and that's why it worked. The chronology, the chronology doesn't necessarily matter, but there's still a beginning, there's still a middle, and there's still an end. And for me, the best part of any of these type of heist mysteries is where it all kind of comes together at the end, where the little bits kind of click into place from everything. But what if you don't know which part is supposed to be an ending? And this is where I was caught. I was looking at it going, is this the wrong episode to watch? Like, should what if, like, everything is kind of revealed at the end? Or And even the way that they have it, like, there's no option for you to watch it just one to eight in order and get it the way it's supposed to be chronologically. You just have to kind of go in. Like, if you, even if you watch it one to eight in Netflix's order, it's still totally out of sync. Kaleidoscope just doesn't have an answer for that what is supposed to be the ending question. And its only thought seems to be, we have mysteries revealed in every episode. It isn't that special. But no, it's not if the episodes are pretty boring and even if they somehow made the man who played Gus Fring boring. Avoid this, I certainly will be for the last four episodes. You have to eat the toppings, Katie, not just the bread. You just said the one thing I asked you not to do. Research shows that if you force a child to eat vegetables, then they'll be less likely to choose those foods as adults. Is that so? Yes. Experts say the preferred method is to give your child the choice. It's called the division of responsibility. So we need to talk about school. Can I bring Megan? Katie, you know that's not possible. Then I'm not going. Oh, come on, Katie. Hey, I'm sorry. Let's just talk about it. Hey, hey, hey. Let me go. Whoa. Hey. What's going on? Hey, Katie. Go. What are you doing? Stop it. Katie, calm down. Let her go. Megan, turn off. Are you sure? Megan is the first hit movie of 2023, a sci-fi comedy horror directed by Jared Johnston off a story written by Aleka Cooper. And it's already been commissioned for a sequel based off a big opening box office weekend domestically and a massively successful viral marketing campaign. The story centres around workaholic Gemma, played by Alison Williams, and her niece Katie, played by Violet McGraw. Katie comes to stay in the wake of a family tragedy, although Gemma is not equipped to care for children and is under pressure with work. She decides to try and kill two birds with one stone in by introducing Katie to a prototype self-learning artificially intelligent doll that she's been working on the title character Megan the two initially bond but of course things soon go left this movie is ambitious it attempts to blend elements of the likes of Terminator Child's Play Orphan and Black Mirror and strangely it's the Black Mirror element that's the least compelling as the movie tries to debate the morality of encouraging a deep bond between a child and a lifelike toy like Megan but but the truth is, we're not here for that, or at least I wasn't. If you look at the likes of Orphan and the First Kill sequel that they released last year, that was one of my favourite horror experiences of, the, of recent years because of how constantly the movie went left and leaned into its most sensational and wild potential. Megan can't fully hit the same heights as Orphan, though there are some moments, such as when the plot decides to exposition dump and remind you of how difficult the doll will be to kill if you tried in the form of a lullaby to Katie. Uh, I won't spoil if you have haven't seen it but feel free to speculate the hit song that they use for that specific moment it is a lot of fun though it's really really fun and that's the one thing that i have to say and it's the word that i came away from the movie really uh, resonating with mainly because of the megan doll herself uh, voiced by jenna davis and played by amy donald no they didn't actually create a sci-fi doll uh, megan is instantly iconic already gaining huge traction within the gay community in particular from the moment she introduces herself to katie uh, she's also terrifying from the word go 
show, which the film needs to sustain the majority attention building before it unravels fantastically. Otherwise, it'd just be more of a comedy. You wouldn't take it seriously. Uh, you do need that tension to sustain, and Megan is able to do so herself. And when it does unravel, Jared Johnson got the balance so right. It's not gory so to speak but it's the right amount of gory enough to make you kind of go what the fuck is going on without being overkill and it manages to keep the humor to action balance perfect even in its action packed final third it's not like an avengers movie or a lot of comedy horrors that just lean into their more horror elements and lean into the action element and just forget about the plot this kind of manages to balance both and keep the play spinning at the same time special mention also go to some incredible supporting acts like ronnie chen laurie dungy and steph and Garno Montaigne who go the extra mile to flesh out the cast with some depth and hilarity when needed to keep the film's momentum going so it wasn't just about the title character go see this it's definitely worth your time but make sure you see it now before everyone dresses up for her as Halloween and you're absolutely sick at seeing the side of Megan Sarah, listen to me. It's not just the Adlers. But we're gonna be brave and we're gonna get out of this. Hey, let's go, come on. Get in. That was a clip from The Last of Us Episode 1. Guys, if you've listened to any of this show so far, you know, the if you listen to the pilot or if you just talk to me in general, you know how much I've been looking forward to this. The Last of Us, my favorite video game of all time. I've been ready for this since before it's even been announced. I've been saying this is the new Game of Thrones. This is the story that's going to get everyone hooked. Um, And well, did it. That's what we're about to find out both this week and for the future weeks going forward. We're going to be covering it in depth. Um, guys, if you're listening and wondering how we're going to be covering this, and if you're like, I don't know if I should follow it, I haven't played the games or whatever, I'll go through how we're going to go about spoilers on this, okay? So the people I'm about to talk to, I've called up a couple of my friends. Uh, they are both gamers. They played the game, um, at least the first game. We've already had a kind of a pre-discussion around differing opinions and different uh, experiences with the second game and so on. Um, so again, with that, like we will talk about it with that in mind but we also want to make it accessible to people that haven't listened that haven't played the game before so we want to use the fact that we played the game to increase or enhance your experience if you haven't but we're not going to spoil it okay so if you've watched the first episode you're good to go we won't spoil anything further if you haven't watched the first episode and you want it stop now Go watch the episode, come back to us, and we'll go through it, okay? But anyway, guys, uh, that's where we're going to go, and that's how we're going to treat spoilers for the duration of this show. Guys, my first guest is uh, when he's not supporting Kings of Leon as the basis for fan club. He can be found on Twitch, living his best life. I'm delighted to catch up with him. It is the one and only Kevin King. Kevin, how are you? 
How's it going, man? I'm good. Absolutely fantastic. Can I complain? On a Tuesday of all days. <laughs> on a Tuesday, I know. We're recording the worst this day of the week. Tuesday. I know. Well, look, we're making it into the best by making it our last exactly. one. Exactly. This is what exactly. we do. This is how we get through the week. Tell well, me a bit about it. your own uh, your own Last of Us kind of origin story. Where are you at kind of with the with the game? Did you play it when it first came out? Are you, like, because I, I know you as well, like kind of as, as a Resident Evil guy as well. So kind of talk yeah. me through that and your relationship between the two or, or, or her, so, whatever so your story is. The game's like 2013, I think, isn't it? Yeah, so I didn't have a PlayStation probably up till 2017. Uh, I think I got a, I treated myself to a PlayStation 4 I think it was in 2017 and it was only because the remake of Resident Evil 2 had come out and I was like nice. I have to play that yeah. so um, it kind of just it was one of those games that I think was either given a loan to me because like I just have, I had friends that had tons of PlayStation 4 games and that was always the one where like you have to play this one you have if you've never played it you don't know anything about it you just have to just experience it going blind and I was I knew nothing about it I'd been out for what four five years ish around that time and I knew nothing and was just blown away by the story and the atmosphere. And it kind of scratched the itch of after I finished the of Resident Evil and probably Resident Evil 7 was it around then too. So it kind of that that kind of horror survival horror itch. Um yeah, so that that was uh that's that was kind of my my foray into it, but just blown away by the story though. It's yeah. like it's just incredible. Um and I've gone back and played. Did you play factions at all? I on the last of us, the multiplayer oh, part. Of... No, I haven't played that, but um, I um, it is. I'm I'm going to save it. That makes sense. Like, <laughs> like lockdown, we we spent months playing that factions part, and like it was like it's years old, but you can still go back to it and have like an absolute blast in it as well. So um, yeah, just the gameplay and stuff as well, and just the the stealthy part of it or the lack of as well. Whoever you want to play it, um, going off, going home. So uh, yeah, I no, loved it. Resident Evil or Last of Us, if you have to choose. Not Resi all the way. I'm like, yeah, and it's yeah, it's just yeah. it's, it's it's tough watching the episode last night, having watched Netflix's absolute shocker of a show, and then um oh that the the Welcome to Raccoon City movie that came out yes. as well. We were like, oh it's it's just it, that's how that should be, this something like that video game should be done as last night's episode, and you're watching that TV show, that Netflix show and the movie, and you're like, oh my god, what happened though? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just uh, it's sickening, but yeah, it's, uh, it's I'm still resi all the way though. Okay, okay, interesting. I, mm. I, The Last of Us has converted me, but I grew up. My first proper game game was Resident Evil uh, Director's Cut, like the first one on yeah. PS One. Like so, yeah, I, I do share that affinity. But Last of Us kind of won me over with that. Uh, next up is a man who used to be associated with a golden can in a previous life as the Ballymun Bruiser. Uh, now he's a resident Joel of the group. He's the girl dad expert. <laughs> Um, <laughs> known more for carrying around a boppy than a golden can. It is another Kev, uh, Kev Metcalf. Thanks for joining yeah. us. Sad days, what's a crack, lads? How are you? <laughs> Kev, what's your Kevin? Uh... There can only be one Kevin, so we're gonna have to fight to the debt so you can schedule in for next week and yeah, separate Zoom meeting or whatever we do for it. Cage match, yeah, <laughs> we can get something going. I was um, thinking. Just... I was thinking yeah. about this though as well. Is there anything more white boy than d- doing a podcast with a Jared and two Kevins breaking down the zombie apocalypse? Yeah. <laughs> Probably not. <yeah. laughs> On a Tuesday night. Yeah, here's, no, what, yeah. here's what I do uh, in the zombie apocalypse. What would you do, Kevin? <laughs> Can we wrap this up? I've got a canting class in the morning. <laughs> yeah, so I think what we'll have to do is I'm gonna I never call you this like out like in real life, but I'm gonna call you bruiser. I will call Kev Key. Kev, is that okay? Do you hear that, that? Kevin? You're the bruiser. 
Yeah. <laughs> I'm okay if that's a good name. <laughs> yeah, sound whatever works. Bruiser, what's your kind of Last of Us origin story? Um, yeah, so I I'm an Xbox guy. Well, I was an Xbox guy. Uh, Xbox, the original one, the 360, all of it. I had a PS2, but then I stopped for years. Uh, when the last of us came out, though, I caught me eye. I looked class. Red was a Sony exclusive. Uh, I actually borrowed a PlayStation 3 from Sean Coffey. No, to a friend. It, and bought it in a bought it in a GameStop just so I could play. I gave Sean the game afterwards when I was finished. I only kept it for about a week or so. And uh, yeah, killed it. Loved it. Couldn't believe it. Me, Mrs. and all was watching the watching me play it because she was so into the story and involved in it. Now, she didn't watch the whole lot of it, but she watched a lot of it, you know. Okay. Uh, it was just one of those in, in a, enticing games. You just got caught up in the whole story. You went with it from start to finish. The gameplay at the time was very good. I went back and kind of replayed it and then replayed the mastered version. And it, Obviously, it's a bit slow and clunky at times, but it's still a, a good game, you know, and it still holds up in my mind. But story-wise, I didn't encounter that ever like that like and I, I kind of grew up with Resident Evil like yourself and me and you have had countless conversations about it and we've played it a quite a couple yes. of times but um, to me it's night and day it's it, 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 the, the, between the story and the gameplay it's so much quicker it's so it's it's so, it's so much more free flowing you know it, it's just a much better game in my mind and, and obviously I actually liked Welcome to Raccoon City but with the exception of that, everything else has been absolute <laughs> shit. So it is yeah. good to see, you know, so the last one has a beat on pretty much everything in my mind. Yeah, we. I think we could do a separate Welcome to Raccoon City podcast. And I think there, there might be there may be an audience for that. We might do a special one day because I, I also liked it. Uh, and I remember... Oh, uh, I, can be the, I can be the counterpoint. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I remember we had these debates around the time, though. Uh, but yeah, no, look, we're here to discuss The Last Real. of Us anyway. So here's what we're going to do. Every week, I'm going to give you guys a kind of recap just so we know kind of what we're discussing and kind of bring us back into the episode that just happened. And then we're just going to have a chit-chat around it and give our own thoughts, Easter eggs and stuff like that. And what we noticed as gamers like i said don't worry we're not going to spoil anything from the game we might allude to things but again we're not going to give any plot points away so you are safe if you're uh if you haven't played the game so we're going to start with the recap and what happened anyway as we go into the spoiler verse with the last of us episode one and basically the first episode of the show began with a 1960s tv talk show interview with an epidemiologist warning of the danger of fungal pandemics like he was a massive hipster he's like oh you like your uh, viral pandemics do you Oh yeah, yeah, that's cool. I'm more of a fungal guy, but whatever you like is fine. Like this was, uh, I don't know if you remember, guys. This is a really weird level to play in the game. Uh, for those of you who never played it, you were just playing as a TV host. You were smacking your secretary's arse and walk as you walk by, saying the word "tuts" a lot. It was very, very strange and offbeat. But look, it worked in the show a lot better, I guess. Uh, cut to me jumping in the air for joy as the familiar strings of Gustavo Santaya, epic Last of Us theme song played to the opening credits that was kind of like Game of Thrones in a way except the map was your if the map was your face and the castles were a piece of fungus penetrating your skin um, we moved to September 2003 20 years ago Birdie Ahern is Taoiseach Shake Your Tail Feather is the number one song the rundown is top of the box office and in Boston where the show is set the New England Patriots had just won their first Super Bowl thanks to the new quarterback Tom Brady so basically it was perfect conditions for the world to end Sarah played by Nico Parker who fun fact is actually the 
daughter of Tandy Newton, who plays Mabe on Westworld, for any Westworld fans out there, uh, wakes up and makes breakfast for her dad, Joel, uh, before he goes to work with his brother, Tommy. She goes about her day as weird stuff seems to happen around her, like a watch repair shop she's in closes in a rush at 3.15 as sirens go off in the background. Then, after spending some time with her neighbours, later that night, her and Joel watch a movie as he gets home from work. Easter egg time, the movie they watch is actually Curtis and Viper 2, which is discussed in the Last of Us Part 2 video game as Joel's favourite movie. No spoilers on who discussed or how it was discussed, but it is mentioned in the video game. So first little Easter egg they've thrown in there for us. Tommy asked, uh, calls to ask Joel to bail him out for getting into a bar fight, leaving Sarah to wake up alone in the house as the shit really begins to hit the fan. She searches the house for Joel in the same gamers that will all have burned into their memories at this stage. The dog from next door, Mercy, startles her, leading her to check on the neighbours only to find the elderly infirm Granny who earlier on had peeked out on mushrooms, uh, which was terrifying behind her. Uh, the Granny was eating the faces off the rest of them in the kitchen and not in the copper's way, unfortunately. Joel, Tommy and Sarah uh, panic and drive into the city after Joel stops to kill the Granny and while in the city they go into the shops uh, looking to stock up on a lot of toilet roll. No. That didn't really happen because that would be a stupid, insane thing to do in the middle of the apocalypse. Anyway, afterwards, shortly, a child died. No, it was very sad. Uh, as the city devolves into chaos uh, with the infection wreaking havoc, Sarah and Joel get cornered by a soldier who is ordered to shoot on sight. Tommy saves the day, but it's too late as Sarah is hit and dies in a devastated Joel's arms. Cut to 2023, an apocalyptic landscape that laughs at us for moaning about how we had to watch so much Netflix and queue for the shops. The Joel we meet in this timeline is very different as he has no qualms disposing of the body of an infected child who was put down upon testing positive while entering the quarantine zone that Joel now resides in and he also deals drugs to a corrupt Fedra officer. There he lives with Tess who we meet as having recently been roughed up by local scumbag Robert and his cronies who had stolen a battery on them. Losing a battery enrages Joel in a way that carrying the corpse of a child the day beforehand just couldn't. He is such a dad. He really, really is. He's like, yeah, dead corpse of a child. I lost a battery. I'm gonna kill He genuinely looked like he was going to kill someone for losing the battery. It was insane. He's a, he's a monster. We meet Ellie, a teenage girl who's been locked up in a room by the Fireflies, led by Marlene, who's played by Merle Dandridge, who's actually the same person who played her in the game. Um, Ellie is a bit of a shit troop, be told, when we meet her, who doesn't stop being a whiny little teen until Marlene gives her her pocket knife, which is, of course, what every teenage girl wants in 2023. Joel and Tess eventually find Robert with a bullet in his face and their battery. Uh, the hallway is strewn with bodies, but Joel is just delighted because he's got a battery back it's like he doesn't even notice the bodies he's like battery amazing and the only people alive in the hallway are Marlene another firefly and the person Pedro Pascal lays his eyes on that's gonna change his character's life forever baby Yoda oh no sorry that's the wrong Pedro Pascal saves a kid show it's actually Ellie uh, Marlene who's been shot in the firefight asked him to smuggle Ellie out of the zone Ellie explores Joel's home and deciphers a radio code that he, he has that means an 80s song uh, being played means trouble typically the 80s usually means cocaine but that's okay whatever you've got your own code that's your right uh, that night they sneak out of the zone breaking curfew under the cover of darkness but are caught by Joel's drug dealer soldier pal from earlier he scans them at gunpoint but Ellie panics and stabs 
him, threatening him with a gun. Joel gets a bout of PTSD and goes crazy, murdering the soldier. Marlene then realizes that Ellie had tested positive. Ellie explains that she was bitten weeks beforehand but hadn't turned. In the panic, they head off into the night as the camera pans back to take in the beautiful chaos that the quadriceps infection has inflicted upon the Boston landscape. As Joel's radio goes off and the pest mode sing, I'm taking a ride with my best friend to bring in the credits on episode one of The Last of Us. Guys, that's the episode. So we'll start off with Kev. What was your general overall first impressions? I think we got a bit of an insight into how you felt about the show. We won't get into the whys yet because we'll kind of piece them apart bit by bit. But your overall general first impressions of uh, episode one. Uh, as I think just uh, as a gamer, probably more than anything else, and seeing how close it was to the game, uh, and seeing, I think for one of the first times, a video game being properly brought to life on screen in a really good way, it it was just I had a bit smile on my face the entire time. This is, if if I was if I watched it on my own, but if I was sitting next to somebody, I'd just be kind of turning around probably every five minutes, being like, ah, ah, it's the thing. <laughs> But uh, I absolutely adored it. Yeah, it was it was great. The atmosphere, the 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 acting as well, the, and the and the actors they they have to play these characters is just phenomenal. Like as well, it's 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 excellent. So uh, yeah, I loved it. And we can get into into the the whys and stuff, I suppose, later. But yeah, my big big fan of it though. Um, yeah, totally agree. Um, mm. it's it, it was phenomenal, and just to see that played out, it was literally like I was the Leonardo DiCaprio meme from The Wolf of Wall Street the entire time. Yeah. Where I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was just everything. Yeah. But yeah, they got it so right. Um, while also kind of adding their own innovations. Uh, Bruiser, what about yourself? General <laughs> overall vibes on? on yeah, I, I I thought the opening scene uh, with the the scientist arguing was done really well. I love the fact we've seen that lad from the mummy. In it. Remember him, the very annoying yeah, guy from John, John Hanna. Yeah, right. Yeah, it was. It was just really nice. I thought it was starting off with a good foot. Going into it, they they set it all up really well. The relationship between uh, Joel and his daughter and everything else, and then slowly but surely, yeah, it just really. What, what they really sold me on it was. Do you remember the scene with the the granny? Yes, the yeah. and they're in the. She's just borrowing the DVD, and the granny's being freaky as shit behind yes. her. And I'm like, okay, I'm in. Like, I'm, I'm invested now because I know there's going to be a torn. I know this little creepy L one is going to kill someone. And this is this is what I'm here for. So, yeah, it, it sold me on that. It latched me in there and it was fully on from there. It's interesting that we all refer to kind of getting the recognizing things from the show and that's kind of cool. But the things that we're speaking about now are things that weren't in the game. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like that, yeah. the little additions that they have, and that's so rare because I think that's been the risk with games. I think that's why so many creative properties have overthought the adaptations yeah. of video games because they're like, we either have to be ridiculously faithful or we have to go a completely different way. And you can actually point it. We spoke about Resident Evil earlier, but you can spoke to you can point to both Welcome to Raccoon City and to the Netflix show as yeah. of both sides. Welcome to Raccoon City is trying to be ridiculous ridiculously faithful but also on the other side Netflix is trying to be completely original and they can't please either whereas this I think just got the balance right it just got the like we're gonna just pepper in extra bits so yeah. that yeah, they, gives... ex they expanded on it lovely like they thought about it you know they put some process into it and goes what can we do here you know there's next door neighbours how can we make them loving and caring for her but at the same time the complete demise of the of her you know that way like yeah. and that's what they tied in really well but again it's it's careful thoughtful 
preparation, you know. Yeah. It, it wasn't you... just throw money at it and go, let's just go with this. It was clearly they they clearly dissected the game and slowly added in things. You can see that. So Craig Mason, the person who made Chernobyl, is co-showing this with Neil Druckmann, who's the creator of The Last of Us game. So you have the creator in the mix here. Um, And Craig Craig Mason, like, he would pitch these things, but he's a fan of the game and he loves and adores the game. And that's what got Neil Druckmann to kind of sign up to this um, because he heard that Craig Mazin basically idolized him for making the game. Um, so you can see that attention to detail and that care that they put in, but also like they're adding value with these extra things. We didn't see the neighbors. Like the first time we saw the neighbors was in the game was when they like Sarah's looking around the house and that scene. And then the one of the neighbors just comes in through the door and Joel immediately shoots them. So that's the yeah. first time we didn't know their personalities. This time the fleshed out part of it allowed us to do so because for reasons they have to change the nature of the show uh, for reasons we'll discuss. But before we kind of get into the individual plot points, I want to get again just a more general thought. Well, Sarah you, Bruiser, like your thoughts on kind of Pedro Pascal and Bella Ramsey as Joel and Ellie. I know in particular there was a lot of hesitation around Bella Ramsey just because she looks very different to the Ellie we all know, whereas Joel and out of the game and Pedro Pascal look quite a similar. You could see it instantly. Uh, Bella Ramsey had a bit of a higher hill to climb, but what are your first impressions about? Um, the only process I had with, with uh, Bella Ramsey, is that what you said her name yeah. was? Yeah. So she's obviously fantastic. She's great. doesn't matter to me that she looks like the character or anything like it. She played such an annoying little brat in Game of Thrones that it's ever hard. Like, if you're that good at a character, as a character actress or actor, and you were... Uh, you have a lasting impression with me. How am I now to go from wanting that bitch dead <laughs> to absolutely willing to lay down my life to keep her alive? That's my only struggle with it. I'm sure I'll get to see it more and more. It wasn't a great opening. Uh, you know, obviously she's quite nervous. She's quite worried. You know, she's a teenager. She's in a lot a horrible situation. So she's very annoying. So she wasn't that likable. You know that way? So it's going to be hard for me to know that she is the main character and she is a likable character to just let that go. Joel's great. Hey, Tommy. Hey, who they picked for Tommy. Hey. Hate him. Hate okay, him and want him dead. Uh, he's not Tommy. Tommy's a rugged badass. Uh, he's not Tommy. He's just some lad that works. I feel like they picked him up. You know the lads that stand outside Home Depot looking to walk and get in the back of your pickup truck? Yeah. That's him. Right? That's who he looks like. That isn't Tommy. Tommy's a badass. This guy ain't no badass. That's my thoughts on him. That's the only thing I disagreed with anyway. I, I, I Interesting points there. I think... I agree with your... First off, I, I never heard people describe Leanna Mormont as that bitch. Like, yes, yeah, same. <laughs> this is why I have you on. This is why. I just want the wild left takes. But amazing. Um, but, like, I agree. Ellie is quite dislikable now. I think she needs to be because, again, kind of at the start of the game, when you first encounter Ellie you do kind of see her as cargo and you're like, why, why are they doing this? What's the deal? And she's cheeky and she's, and then it's everything else. And kind of, we've seen that there is, um, if you look closely at the trailers, you see a clip of the downloadable content extra left behind from the video game. That's going to be a part of it. And they're already kind of talking about elements from that, which we won't obviously get into. Um, 
But that's going to do a lot for fleshing out because that tells you Ellie's full story and how she is and why she is the way she is. And you understand exactly why Ellie is Ellie to the point that when the second game came out, people were so overprotective of Ellie. They was like, she was like our daughter. You know what I mean? Um, so with that, then I think they will get there. I like the way she's kind of, she's very good at being cheeky. She's very good at being a little shit, but also you can see, and they, they just haven't, her character just hasn't got a chance to get there, but you can see little bits of charm. Like, do you know the bit where she's like, she cracks the code and she kind of goes, I knew it. 80 me- 80s means trouble. And then yeah. like, she just kind of gives that little bit of smile and then a wink. And it's like, okay, I'm going to like you. And I'm going to, I, I, I'm confident you're going to get me there. The Tommy one is very interesting. The, and, and I agree with you. I wasn't a big fan of Tommy in this because first off, they made him a fuck up. Like, Tommy in the game does not get arrested. That's not a thing. Joel goes missing because obviously shit starts hitting the fan and that's when Sarah wakes up. Um, But they needed a contrivance to get Sarah alone in the house. Uh, And that's fine. I don't mind that side of it. But Tommy isn't a fuck up. Tommy, if anything, is the responsible brother. Joel is the fuck up. You've got to like Tommy to like this journey. You know that way? If you don't want to see that, that connection being made, you're not going on that journey, you know. That way, like in the game, why would we care about getting back to Tommy? Yeah, why would we care about dropping this package off on the way to Tommy? Fuck Tommy, fuck that Tommy, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. stay in the city you're in, there's no need to go there. But, yeah. uh, look, maybe you'll grow on me as well. It's just that initial thought because from the start and the the, the kind of prologue, isn't it? Or, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The, the opening moments of that game, it. And then, then it goes, skips to 20 years. You're like, oh, here, where's Tommy? I want to see Tommy again. He was good. He helpful, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah I just feel it's missing with him. But look, I could be wrong. He'd probably grow me. I love him in five episodes time, you know? No, I agree. He's a badass. Tommy is the guy who shields you when you're, you know what I mean? And they kind of cut that out again. I don't mind the fact that they cut that part out. I don't mind the changes that they made. So I'm not criticizing them for that. But in the game... Tommy runs ahead of you to kind of get rid of the infected so that you can, you've got a path to run through while you're carrying or while you're carrying Sarah. So yeah, he's a badass and he's responsible and he jumps into danger to protect others. Like that's an important thing. Whereas I think the Tommy we got so far and they've loads of time to change this because we only got a tiny bit of Tommy so far, Yeah, but yeah. it's, they made him a bit of a fuck up and that's different. The one thing I will say is his voice is very much Tommy. Like when you hear him on the phone, you're like, that's Tommy. That's exactly how Tommy sounds. So you got the voice right, if nothing else, which gives me kind of faith. Uh, Kev, your own thoughts and initial impressions on, on Pedro Pascal, Bella Ramsey, but also any any other casting um, um, choices? Pedro Pascal was just perfect. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, if you just, we, we've all, we all agree, like, he's just amazing like, kind of casting and kind of just really just got the spirit of Joel. Like, looks very, very similar in terms of, in terms of a character as well. I loved Bella Ramsey as as Elle, and I thought it's it's a different portrayal because I think when you meet Elle in the game first, she's a bit more reserved, she's a bit more timid. But then also this Bella Ramsey version of Ellie, she's grown up in this apocalypse for like all of her life, and she's like chained against her will in this room. She's gonna be a little shit, and I loved that about her personality. I think, um, and like you said as well, like there was more. She she gets like these cheeky little winks when she figures figures out the code and stuff as well. Um, and I think yeah, we're we're you're gonna get to like her a lot more. But I did love the fact that they made no, I, I wouldn't even call her unlikable, just a cheeky little shit. Yeah, and I I loved that about it. Um, Tommy, I I don't think we've seen enough of him to 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 really judge that judge judge that too much. Like I I'm I don't know I'm I'm not like a massive uh. 
into into uh, Tommy's character, I suppose. I just don't really. I haven't played the game now in a while, but I don't really remember Tommy that well. Um, or it's as a proper standout character to me. But uh, we'll see how it kind of goes as as it, as it kind of goes on. But um, yeah, I loved I loved Bella Ramsey. Her portrayal of this. Um, I also thought uh, Sarah getting to spend some time with Sarah um was great. Yeah, I thought I really liked that about giving her a bit more. Just, just so you can spend a bit more time with her, because in the game it's it's quite brief at the start, but then getting to spend some time with her, kind of going about her day, you need you need that a little bit more because it's quite it's quite quick, even in the game as well, and it's an impactful death and stuff as well. But you need because it's TV, they have a bit more time to play around with that as well and to get to know her a bit more. Um, I thought she had the same kind of energy as as the uh, the game character. I think as well. I think she was quite likable and just sweet and stuff as well so uh yeah i liked i liked that about the start also the the opening bit at the start with the interview if we can get back to that was yep. terrifying and in, in like the best way where you're like the 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 cordyceps is a, a real life fungus that affects ants and the, that line of the earth getting warmer was just like oh and it's like back in the 1960s and it's just like oh fuck it just brought that more like this realism i think to it um also the opening scene was uh oh it's that guy because as i mentioned it was john Hanna, and then you got yeah. josh brenner as well as the host who if you watch mythic quest is the young cw yeah and uh yeah i love i just love that opening to really set a tone for what this is of like oh this could happen like yeah and and did we all go to google and like be terrified by the fact that yes that's true like what he said is true yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's scientific and like that just really brings it home there was a lot of that though, because and, and I agree, I loved the opening. Uh, like if you listen to the Last of Us HBO podcast, it is uh the two creators. So you have Craig Mazin, Neil Druckmann, and they're being interviewed by the actor who played Joel in the game. So he still has a connection to this, which I love. So it's great, Amazing. it's really worthwhile listen, and you get a lot of Easter eggs in there. And this is and you get kind of a feel, it really reassures you as a gamer as well that they're gonna handle this right because you know they are gamers and so on. So in this, for example, Craig Mazin had to pitch the opening scene twice to Neil Druckmann, and it makes sense because for me, when I first saw the opening scene, I'm like, this is bold because I mm. arguably the last of us in itself, the the opening scene is is Sarah, and that's kind of what how we are introduced to Last of Us, and that's a cold open in itself. It's arguably the best cold open in the history of story ever. It could genuinely have that, and they went against that, and they go into something else. But I got it when I, in perspective, I got it because if they'd have had that as like because the way the game opens is they go through all of that story with Sarah, and then as she gets shot, the opening credits go on, and it makes you go, "That's just a, like you're broken as a human being." Yeah. The first time you play, you're actually broken, sobbing, whatever. You, you're you're mentally shattered, and then the credits come on. And you're like, that's the start, <laughs> and it really <laughs> has this hugely powerful effect. So I'm like, are they gonna do that? And then when they didn't, I'm like, oh, that's a ballsy decision. But then they spent so much more time with Sarah, and we really got to fall in love with her, and really got to understand kind of what drives emotionally Joel to emotionally go along. With what to, what's to come so I really appreciated that yeah. one thing I kind of want to touch base with you guys on is we see the beginning of a global pandemic here and the fear and everything that came in I joked about it a bit in the recap 
But how did that sit with you? Did that give you a bit of March 2020 PTSD? Did it hit home? Was it uncomfortable to watch, Kev? How, how did all that settle with you, considering we've been through something n- not to that extreme, but not dissimilar within the past few years? It's, it's well, it was, it was shit at the fan, like, way earlier than yeah, the yeah, show. Yeah. Like, <laughs> um, yeah, I suppose it, it kind of, yeah, you can kind of, Compare it a little bit, yeah, but it's. I think it's just the fact that it was just instant chaos so quickly in this. It was when I remember, like, we were we were in recording in the studio in Wales back when the in twenty yeah, twenty twenty in January twenty twenty, and you'd be hearing like little bits and pieces on on the news and the radio about like this virus in China, and you're like, it's never gonna fucking come here, and then. As, as time went on over the next week weeks and then months it, it made its way here and I love the fact that like you were getting those little bits and pieces and you'll see like maybe police cursors drive by in the background and it's building up that tension so yeah it, you can relate to that a little bit of of uh just just hearing just bits in the background and then your your the, the your anxiousness I suppose is kind of building up so yeah there is there is that there yeah it was uh that was quite well done they they did that part and I'm only thinking about this and appreciating it as you're saying it now they did that part very well where it's like kind of um, you know there was like little bits on the radio that they hear and like you hear Sarah's like should we be worried about this yeah, what's going yeah. on? and everyone else is like it's fine don't worry about it you know and that's kind of the way we were you know we're just I mean? completely like, so, ignoring it like yeah, as well yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah and it's like no it's coming for us this can happen and it's going to happen and we know from the cold open that it's going to happen it's going to be bad uh, Bruiser your own thoughts on, on kind of that and the build up and the like again we can kind of contrast that because we've lived through something not 100% yeah no no very, very similar to Kev there uh, it's it, I do imagine if, if we had something as aggressive as what's happening in The Last of Us, we would fucking all react the same way. We'd be shoving people off. You know what I mean? Like, I'd definitely run over some fuckers. You know what I mean? Like, so <laughs> I, I get it. Like, uh, yeah, I, th- I think it was done well. I do really like the fact that it was happening in the background. That watch scene to me is huge. The fact that the woman's mm. trying to push, uh, push her out of the shop. Like, you can't fix it. You don't have time to fix it. Just shut the fuck up. We're going here. It's over. You know, and a, a clueless guy who's kind of like, what? what do you mean? Like, let me walk here. We're open for another three hours or some shit. You know, and uh, so that, that was well done. Just the fact that you could see some people start to panic. Like, no, stuff's real here. How, how are we going to get out of here? The only thing I, I probably... Uh, didn't like about it was the fact that when the phone call happened to Joel that he left Sarah uh, and just put her to bed like that I don't think anyone in the, uh, would ever do that regardless of having any idea of how it is because she is only a kid and if she wakes up she's frightened and all that other shit but everything else up to that I thought was really well done and then again obviously as the shit hits the fan and they're driving around and the cop cars are everywhere and there's army barracks and all and it's like well would have happened that fast, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's kind of leaves you think, but no, it was good, it was good, yeah. And yeah, the we shut up shop so quickly that I imagine it would sh- go to shit very quickly if it was a real, you know, aggressive people are dropping dead and being ripped apart situation. That's yeah. actually a very good point of how quick we did shut down on, on, on that day. Um, so yeah, of, of stuff kind of just really hitting the fan like that. You touched um, on a couple I, of really I, interesting points there. Like, cause sorry, I, I, I don't mean to cut you off, but I just want to kind of acknowledge like <clears throat> 
the stuff that I really don't think if we'd have watched this in 2019, I don't think that watch scene would have hit as hard. But we mm. lived scenes like that where like it's like one person's like, we need to shut the shop, and the other person's like, What are you talking about? And we're like, yeah. I know that that that's we're doing a Leonardo DiCaprio meme there as well. So that's that's really good. Sorry, Kevin, I didn't mean to cut across. Just just as a as a maybe a little nitpick of when when Sarah does wake up, she's very calm, I kind of think. Uh, considering all the shit that's going on, like there's big green flashes and stuff as well, I kind of feel like you'd be a bit more panicked. Maybe she's quite calm, just like looking for Joel. I kind of feel like, um, but that's funny. Yeah, I've, ne- I've never met a cooler twelve-year-old or whatever bleeding age she is. Like, yeah, you know, and who goes outside to check? Like, no, come here, listen, love. You need a lesson, all right? Stay yeah, in that mercy, mercy was sick. No, I'd have gone out after mercy. Like, I, like there's yeah. a dog that needs help. That dog here. could have bleeding dying on the street out and locked safely in my bedroom. <laughs> um, yeah, you touched on something there, Bruiser, that I kind of wanted to pick your brains on anyway, because when you're commenting on like Joel leaving Sarah there. You can tell you're a dad. You know what I mean? And that's that's that coming into play where you're like, that would never happen. You would never it do wouldn't. That. You should. Like, I, I don't no. think it would happen. I think it was I'm, obviously done for dramatic effect. There's no way you wouldn't have. I'm not saying I wouldn't leave a 12-year-old alone like that at night to, to sleep because I'm sure she would have been fine. But you wouldn't have just put her to bed and disappeared, especially mm. as a single father. Like, you just wouldn't. You'd be like, look, fucking gotta go collect your, your uncle his car broke down if you don't want to say he's a drunk Asia hey Tommy uh, if you don't want to say that you know what I mean yeah. you could give any excuse his car broke down I'm gonna go get my hands you go by the bed everything will be alright I'm on the other end of the phone if you need me you know that type of shit how, you wouldn't how did, go without giving a warning how did this hit you though as a girl dad now because obviously you're you're in a very different life position I, 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 to I this one thing. To when I, you played the game originally from, from that opening scene and what happened with that uh, the, the shooting scene of the, the daughter yeah to when the gun is then pointed at Ellie and he freaks out that would 100% and a 1000% happen in, in, in my life if you were put back in that situation if everything you absolutely lived for was taken away from you some, from from you know, a similar angle, someone pointing a gun, you see it again, you ain't going to get let it, let it happen twice, even though he's not that connected at all to Ellie. It's just a natural instinct, I think, to defend uh, when you were met with the exact same situation that crippled you and took away all of your life, you know, that way. And it would have, like, Joel's dead inside. And that's what you need to realise now. It's 20 years on. All he's got left is his brother. He is nothing. He is a shell of a human being. He is just moving on for the sake of moving on. He doesn't want to move on. He doesn't. He only wants to see his brother again. You know what I mean. He he doesn't. He doesn't care or give a shit about anything. As you, someone I don't know if it was you or Kev earlier on talked about how he, he's fine throwing the body in. He's fine, trying. You know, afterwards, he's, twenty things. years later, he's no problem. Yeah, he's no problem it's throwing the body in. He doesn't care. exactly. He's he's been destroyed. You know, and that's part of the journey here is building him back up into a human being again. Yeah. Yeah, and and that happened obviously. Look, that's why Sarah's death was so important to show because we need to understand and relate it and empathize in the way that you just have there. Uh, to and and also as well, like we're gonna we're gonna see some shit. We know this. We're gonna see some shit over the next few weeks, and we're gonna see Joel make some decisions that are gonna be very different. Watching as a passive observer than as someone actively making those choices as the gamer, as playing as Joel. So it's going to, we need to under, it's very important that we need to understand Joel's mindset and how he feels and sympathize with him there. And that comes from seeing Sarah's death and that scene needing to be powerful. Obviously we spoke about the effect that it had on us when we played it in the game. Kev, 
how do you feel that the TV show side of it played up to things? Do you feel that they they handle it well against the game? There's obviously a lot of side by side. I don't know if you've seen the side yeah. by side yeah. comparisons. How do you feel that they, they did they get it right or did they miss things? Did the game hit more? What what are your own thoughts? Oh, it still drew a tear every time I see it in the game. It'll draw a tear. I did the same last night as well. It's still the same impact. And I think, like I was saying earlier, it's the spending that bit of time with her. And kind of just really getting to know her and then her spending time with the neighbors and stuff as well. You needed that, I think, for the TV show. Um, and it's still, I think, just as impactful to me. I loved, absolutely loved the 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 time we spent even in the truck escaping as well. That state the camera just staying in the truck from her perspective, I think, um, yeah. and seeing all this shit, it's kind of puts the her fear in you then as well. And then the added plane that just gets brought down and explodes. And that's what knocks out the car is like a slightly different thing to the game. Um, and everything from her, her ankle then being broken and, and him just desperate, not even trying to fight off, just running to get, to get, uh, to get her to safety as well. Um, and then there's the tragedy of it then as well. I thought it was just as impactful as, as the, as the game was. Yeah. There's a last of us game podcast that I listen to as well. Can you tell I'm obsessed? Um, (laughs) There's a podcast and I found it really interesting when I listened to it a a couple of years ago um, where they spoke about the direction that Neil Druckmann gave Troy, I want to say Baker um, when he was playing Joel in that, because he went in and he said it was one of the hardest days in the actor. I just broke down completely sobbing and this and that and the other. And then the next day he came in and Neil was like, so we need to get that scene again. And he's like, what the fuck? I have given you absolutely everything that I have. And he's like, yeah, you did. And it was horrific and awful. But the problem was you were sad. And it's like, that's not how you'd feel in this scene. You'd feel like you're trying to fix everything and you're trying to put it back together. But what makes the scene sad is that it's so unfixable. And they changed it slightly here, but I feel they had the benefit of Neil Druckmann having given that direction and known that journey that the actor is going to go on and being able to hammer it home. Because for me in this scene, this broke me yet again. And I didn't expect it to break me. I expected to look back with a kind of, I expected to look at it with a critical eye, but it absolutely broke me and had an emotional impact because Pedro Pascal leaned into that trying to fix it part. Mm. You know what I mean? Right up until the end, he's cradling Sarah in his arms. Tommy's like, holy shit, he's not responding. You know what I mean? And that's happening. And he's, the, what he's doing physically acknowledges that she know he knows she's dead, but he's still being like, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. It's fine. It's okay. It's okay. We're going to get you. Come on, just move, just move. And he keeps saying those things over and over. And that's what makes it horrific. It breaks you because th- that's real. That's what you'd actually be like. You know what I mean? You're, you're not accepting it and you're just not going to process it. You're just going to be like, I need to fix this. I need to protect you. Even when it's that horrific. Moment. And that takes us into his mindset so much. So for me, I don't want to say it was better than the game. I don't think anything can have that visceral reaction that playing this for the first time had. But I think if I hadn't watched it, and I don't know, again, feel free to join in people who haven't played the game, listening and and tell me how you felt. If I hadn't watched the game, though, I think I'd have had a similar reaction to how I did when I played the game, which is huge because when you play the game, you're you're as the characters. So you feel very attached to them very, very soon because you're played as them and you've lived as them and you've walked literally in their shoes. Um, but I think they got there with how, how powerful this was. Uh, Bruiser, what, what are your own kind of vibes on that? Oh, very similar. You hit, you hit pretty much all of it. I would say the game 
took me in more, but probably because you are playing the character and you're there and you're living it, and it was just so out there. You know, when it happened, you were just like, hang on, what the fuck? You know what I mean? Like, you can't just kill off his bleed. You know what? Uh, so that, that, that initially, that, that hit was probably much harder. The one thing, and I'm going to think this is going to be a running team for whenever I'm on, is fuck Tommy. Because <laughs> he so quickly is kind of like, Joel, come on, like, she's dead. You know, like the way he's just trying to say, Joel, don't, what the fuck, mate? He's holding his fucking, she just got shot. Yeah. He's holding her there and he's just trying to convince him like it's a lost cause here. Fuck off. Pick the body up. Pick the legs up. We're carrying her on. Fuck you, Tommy. Just this version of Tommy. I, the I game love Tommy is sound. I, I love that. I think it was like her gasps and then it cuts over to Tommy and he's just like, she's gone. And then it cuts back to her and then she is gone. I thought that was really well done. I, lo- yeah, I, I, so I love just that paints him as a prick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there's two things going on here yeah I I, I I get you Kev I, I'm on the same page because he kind of goes Joel and you can hear her sobbing but at, when he says Joel you then listen and she's not so, and there's no yeah. sound and that lack of sound tells you everything you need to know before the camera even cuts back and then because we know what's happening we're not trying to take in her as much but we're now looking at Pedro Pascal and his mm. reaction and that's where we need to go it's so massive it's such a little thing that's massively directed but also I know what's going on because I know Bruce like nearly two decades at this stage <laughs> and what's happened here is he's decided I don't like Tommy and everything he does <laughs> everything he does I'm going to say fuck that guy <laughs> which I'm here for and that's why we have you on the show so no, running theme I can't wait for it like. yeah this is it exactly. no matter what he does like he could, it's like I can't believe they rewrote it to save Tommy to Tommy save the day and everyone loves this and Bruce will just be like nah fuck that guy uh, I didn't like him in one scene so fuck him <laughs> <laughs> and I'm um, right. <laughs> um, so, like, uh, if you never played the game, one thing that kind of might surprise you off this is that Tess, who we meet later on, absolute psychopath, absolute psychopath. Like in the game, like her default to every problem, it's like, hey Joel, uh, do you have like Joel would be like, hey Tess, do you have change for twenty? And she'd be like, we need to murder everyone in this room. <laughs> that's, not, that's not the solution to the problem presented, Tess. <laughs> So there was more slight changes here where she's more calculating on one hand. She's happy to kind of let the Robert beef go. She's almost negotiating with Robert a little bit, but then she's kind of manipulating Joel where she's like, yeah, I kind of do want him dead. And she knows she can kind of play Joel like that. Um, So she's calculating more than psychopathic, but also as well, the show kind of confirms what the game implied that her and Joel are, are romantically involved. Again, you felt that way in the game, but they never kind of went there Um, and they didn't need to, but here they, they, they did and they kind of confirmed that first which again it's probably just more of an easter egg to anything because I don't think we're going to see them shifting or anything intense I think they were just like we'll get, we'll throw the game or something here by just answering that question Um, what are our thoughts on on, on Tess then uh, Bruiser what's that with you yeah uh, she's a manipulator obviously we, you could see it with them there but she is a good character she's tough she's ready she uh, brings a lot to it clearly negotiating the deals and it clearly uh, she's a large part of why this journey begins. You know, that way he probably wouldn't have taken the package or Ellie if, you know what I mean, it wasn't for some convincing and, and edging along the way and, yeah, help with it. And the, she She's a large part of it, but I do think that we missed a lot of how violent she, she can be or how manipulative or however you want to put it that she can be because... 
as you said, she was trying to smooth shit out instead of trying to bunch it down. You know, like, yeah, literally every salute, everything. It was like, yeah. oh, we need to walk into this camp, but there's three people, there's three like people who have families and people to go home to. Well, look, we got to murder them, and it's like, yes, what are you doing? No, we don't. We can just literally, I can, I'm a really quiet crawler. I could just crawl around. No nope, murder. I'm gonna shoot this guy in the head. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we also we also met Marlene, and obviously you're the recap. I was saying it's the same person who played her in the game. Um, but a little bit of a different characterization. I think this Marlene is a bit more sassy than in the game. Uh, Kev, what were your own thoughts on, on Marlene? Uh, yeah, I thought she. I thought she was great. There was like, um, she's not. So it's it's once again not in it that much to kind of really um see too much of a difference with her character. Like, yeah, you're right. She's she's a little bit more sassy. But I loved. I do love the fact that it's the same character that's that's doing this. It's it's wonderful. Like as well, it, that it's it's something that kind of annoyed me a little bit. I think as the, towards the end of the episode, I felt it was a bit rushed towards the end. Mm-hmm. Them getting Ellie as the cargo from her, and there's another bit I'll talk about towards the end. I thought it was kind of rushed too, but like uh, we haven't really seen too much of too much of her. I think to really judge her too much um but i do love i just adore the fact that it's the same same actress um but yeah we'll we'll see see how it goes marlene um or sorry tess you're right um completely agree with you bruiser as well like you don't get to see the absolute psychopath that she is before and then you kind of maybe need a bit of context but it's 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 nice to kind of see that her like and seeing uh how emotionless and the, the person that joel's become and the two, the two of them are just kind of a match made in heaven, really, for each other at that time, as well as is is kind of great. But uh, you you would like to see a bit more kind of the actual test you see in the games from her. But you probably will. We probably will get to see that in the next episode. Yeah, yeah. We um, need a test heavy episode like coming up. We know what's kind of coming next as well. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I I imagine we will. Um. Marlene for me had the best line in it where she's like, Bitch, you got one ear. <laughs> and it was that like, was good, yeah, I mean, It was, took me a second of like, Is she insulting her? And she's like, No, no, she literally has one yeah. ear. <laughs> was it just me or did it feel like they brushed over the fireflies type of situation a little bit? For yeah, so I was saying it's kind of a little rushed, wasn't it? Like the whole thing just brushed over. Like it's such, it is the game and it's the storyline. It's, it, it is like it's the whole point of the series is what you're trying to where you're trying to go, why she's so important and who she's so important for. But it really just felt like, oh, here's a little sign on the wall. And yeah, they're having some infighting. You should stay off the roads tonight. And then all of a sudden, they tried taking the battery and, you know, it just appeared. I felt it just wasn't explained too much or where Tommy is even. You know, like that was brushed over. Yeah, like the Tommy thing as well was just kind of said in a way that gamers understood, but I'd love to know if people even picked up on, like, well, why did Tommy... Like, if I hadn't played the games, I didn't know the backstory, I'd be like, well, what are they saying about Tommy? Like, why why did he chase her? What's going on? So I agree, there is something there. I imagine the fact that we don't have to... Like, so we we all have to go through the levels in the same way that they went through in the game. So there's a lot more, and they did a lot here, like, where there's a lot more room for exposition and just telling us the backstory and stuff like that as well so I imagine we're going to get to all of that with the fireflies as time goes on Um, but I agree like yeah it was very much glossed over it's like oh here's the fireflies you know the fireflies and it's like well no I don't I've never (laughs) seen this show before Um, or if anybody hasn't played the game sorry if anybody hadn't played the game I think that might have been very very rushed for them they're like what the hell is this or who are they Yeah, especially Um, considering how important they they are to yeah exactly yeah yeah and and kind of 
you need to kind of believe in them or you need to kind of have feelings around them. You really, really do. Um, so I I did like one bit though, where it's like uh, your man walks up to Joel in the yard and Joel is just like, if you tell me to go looking for the light, I'm going yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to break your jaw. Yeah. It? Like, it's like a badass comment. Yeah. Like. I, I, I've never seen Pedro Pascal play a proper, like again, in the Mandalorian, yeah, obviously, look, he is badass, but like you don't see him as the badass. You know what I mean? In Game of Thrones, he's very like he's very charismatic. He's flamboyant as well, though, as well. Like he does have badass chops, but like I've never seen him play a straight, just like tough, like manly man type. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, he plays it very well. He does it, and 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 I didn't know if he would be able to, but he, he nails it. I spoke there about the kind of flying through levels of the game. And that's the way we're going to think of it as well. Cause we're like, they are, there are scenes where like, even the last scene, like, it's like, I hate that level. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where, where the, the guys are looking for you and you don't have the, the proper weapons or the proper skill and you haven't fought enough in the game to be able to navigate it. So you have to kind of bluff it the first time you play it. Um, They do fly through those levels and that makes sense. Again, I'm totally fine with it. Um, But one thing that I found interesting listening to the podcast was actually there's only nine episodes in this season. There's, and you may notice that in HBO shows, there's usually 10. There was supposed to be 10 originally. This, what we got as the opening episode is actually two episodes mashed together. The original ending of the first episode was supposed to be Joel dumping the child's body. Um, and then you were supposed to be left on that. And the kind of the revelation is, look how much Joel has changed. But HBO actually stepped in and the guys gave them credit for this. They're like, this is why you need good partners because they stepped in. They said, yeah, like people might just think that's too bleak and not come back. You need to actually give them something to hope for and root for and a plot and, and a momentum for it. So I feel that they did well, but like there is a lot that we have to kind of process there and important stuff did fall by the wayside. How do you guys feel that they messed that balance like going with the two episodes in one because we've covered like a, a chunk of the game here yeah they kind of had to right because as you said it would have been too bleak I was only talking about the road today don't know if you ever read the book or seen the movie Um, but it's a post-apocalyptic uh, post-apocalyptic story that's very bleak and it's bleak in the middle and it's bleak at the end and it's just bleak the entire way through and I was telling the lads I was like, like what was the fucking point I said I read that book and I watched the film. What the fuck was wrong with me? You know that way? Like, it was just nothing good came of it. And if you didn't, if it just ended with where it was, with the daughter dies and he's throwing a fucking child's body in the, the gimmick, why, why would you tune in again for this depression? You know that way? At least now you have some hope. You've got to have hope, right? Like a match, like a wrestling match or whatever else, you know? You get your shine. The shine is the daughter being, being so great. You get the cut off with the death and it's, devastatingly heal and there's no hope and there's no comeback and then hang on is there a bit of hope are you gonna go through and find Tommy what's the story with this girl is yeah. she so there's your hope spot and you gotta end on a hope spot right? especially at the start because if you end it too bad why would you come back yeah no that makes sense Kev your That's own thoughts great great point Um, yeah I, if for, for an opening episode like that you do need like you do need the hope if it's for me, and I love these kind of movies, um, like The Mist, where it just ends horrifically. Um, I I do think there's a there's there's something kind of just brutal about that as well that I kind of I, I kind of like like as well when when movies kind of just go real left field and be like, no, this this doesn't end great, and you're just gonna have to live with that. But for for something like this, for and for something like it's a HBO show, they're gonna get. I think it was like was a four point five mil they got last night. I think it was. Yeah. 
you need you need to get you need to get that audience back again next week and you, and you do you do need the hope but at the same time game of thrones episode one and with brown falling out of a window so well, he was really annoying so i was happy as well <laughs> you just don't like kids in game of thrones like that's i don't think so yeah i think i've got an issue there to be honest with you um, i into that before though in contrast to sarah Craig Madsen spoke of Ellie's reaction to seeing Joel being violent. You may remember Sarah, like when Joel just killed a granny straight in front of her, was like, what the fuck? You just killed her. And she was shocked. She'd never seen her dad like that. Whereas Ellie looked and the words that they used to describe it was activated. She looked excited. She looked kind of like, oh, this this is something different. Like at seeing Joel get so violent, protecting her um, for the very first time. And they spoke about how their connection may be stronger because they almost have that level in common, whereas maybe that was a disconnect for Joel and Sarah. And in that way, they may be more dangerous and maybe a toxic relationship and kind of we'll explore that as time goes on. The last of us definitely doesn't shy away from that, that topic. Like, um, and also as well, it kind of made me think about violence in this, because this is when you're playing the game, you're very much, you've lived in these characters' shoes, you've felt how these characters felt because Sarah feels like your daughter and you've experienced that happening, you know? So you you really feel it in a way so that when you see the characters be violent, you're doing that as a kind of wounded Joel, you know what I mean? And you're playing that out as well. So you don't think about it as much, but The Last of Us obviously will make you think about it as time goes on. It'll put in these little inflection points and these questions after and it's like, did you need to do that? And then you're like, oh my God, I'm a monster. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be very different though, watching this on television because now we're passive observers to the violence. So now when we see Joel do something fucked up, we're not Joel and we haven't gone through what we have. So it's a lot. It's going to be a lot easier for us to go, whoa, dude, that's fucking weird. Do you think that there may be space for them to go a bit shades of grey with Joel and Ellie in the... Again, there's there's questions. And one thing I kind of want to ask people as time goes on, especially people who've never re- played the games before, is are Joel and Ellie good? Are they good people? And uh, there's no good answer to that. There's no spoilers in that as well. Like, I can ask that question safe and not have spoiled anything. We know that because we have a full debate about it if we could talk about the entire plot and probably all come away with slightly different opinions. Um, do you think that the TV show is going to explore that and 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 that side of things, Kev? What do you, what do you think yourself? Um, like you saw the little bit of like the start of that, I think, with Joel when they drove past that family when they were in the truck, and he was just like, "No, they'll someone else will get them." And there's like there's a bit of a there's that selfishness, and there's like a survival instinct there though as well. And it's just it's apocalypse rules, baby, where it's like. Some of the some of the decisions, but like you're right, like it's decisions you do in the game, but it's going to be interesting to see, yeah, what what how that is how that's going to play out as well. It's like you said with the the whole toxic relationship thing as well. It's like they need each other, and in terms of surviving in this world, they need that violent streak and with each other. But is it and it's it's necessary for them to survive, but is it healthy though as well? So that's going to be a really interesting arc, I think, to explore. One thing, actually, just to go back to as well, with that shot where it, it kind of shows Ellie activating, yeah. where she looked like nearly like Batman in a silhouette with a flash of lightning just illuminate her, and like the look of her, like joy nearly in her face yeah. was just amazing, like as well. Yeah. <laughs> Love and that. 
like and, and terrifying too because like you're like oh a kid shouldn't be like reacting to this in this way like that that's something that bella ramsey is bringing to it like that's yeah. new that's completely new and bella ramsey i think is going to be very very good if they're going to play that kind of ellie where is mm-hmm. she a bit twisted is she a bit like is there something there we love her but is there something wrong with her is there something kind of broken in there and it, it makes sense if there is we can totally empathize when we learn her story and stuff like that as well but like that that's that's a really interesting character wrinkle what are your own thoughts bruce yeah. It's just on what you touched there on with Bella and uh, is she playing it with a broken, you know, slightly broken and doing her own twist on it and how I said, you know, oh, bitch and uh, earlier on about the Game of Thrones character. That's my half my fear though, is that I am emotionally invested in these characters and I like the characters that were created and portrayed in the video game more so than most television shows I've ever watched. Yeah, So you have complete artistic rights to put your own spin on things, but will your own spin make me have no sympathy for you? And will that spin make me go, well, she's a sadistic bitch there. Did you see her fucking spoil when he had to do that shit? He had to do what he had to do because he's that situation's explained. Her smile isn't much so. Are they good people? You asked earlier on. I don't think Joel's not a good person anymore. He can't be. He can't go through the situation he went through. Deal with this thing 20 years later and, and be a good person. You're just not. You're broken. You're twisted. You're fucked up. And that child as well, unfortunately, is the same. She she grew up in that orphanage, wasn't it? Or, or uh, the, you know, she's not right either. So, no, you're dealing with two completely toxic people already, completely broken, forced to go together. But where you get sympathy and you fucking need sympathy in this show and the storyline to have this emotional connection to both of the characters. I think uh, Pedro, the, the, all of the acting, it's nothing but sympathy, right? It's like, oh my God, mate, you've lost everything. Fuck. I, I'm like, I'm my heart aches for you. You're a bit of a spoiled bitch. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and, and I don't know if I'm going to get that sympathy arc that I need to get to... Uh, love it as much as I love the game version. I know it's different. It ain't bit for bit, but that's just slightly my fear. It was a great scene. I look class. He's a dead right. Was it my Ellie though? You know what I mean? And yeah. do I want to see a different version of that girl? You know that way? I don't know. Here we go. It begins right now. Hashtag not my Ellie. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I know. Very, very good point. An interesting point. I think to be fair, I like this is made by the creator of it of it and it's also made by a super fan i don't think they want to spin it too much but i think they may want to kind of just widen it and they have yeah, and they've done that it's just the subtleties though you know that way yeah, you know yourself yeah. it's the subtleties and facials and the, the subtleties that you're not saying that make you a an incredible actor and great at your profession but just might turn you slightly you know that way you yeah. might go mm, i don't know about that yeah. like and that's how i took that i took that yeah great scene Acting done fantastically, shot incredibly. I don't know about that. I don't know yeah. if it's just that. Word. You know what I mean? That was a bit. And that, that's where we walked away from that part. Yeah. I think if they do left behind and and it looks by all indications yeah. they're gonna, yeah. I think that's yeah, gonna yeah, be yeah. that's gonna be what I, I don't think anyone's gonna. Yeah, I think that's gonna get us where we need to be when it comes to Ellie. Um, yeah. guys, great chat, loving it already. I could probably go for like three hours. You want to get in? One, oh, more one question for you, lads. So okay, I just thought about this area. Joel, because he's about Resident Evil fans, I come from. I, I played Resident Evil, big fan of it. Joel is a leading man or Leon Kennedy? I, I'm Leon all the way. I'm I'm Resi two for life. Yeah, my, it's more, like you had more the of a connection to. Yeah, okay, and, and yeah, uh, I think it's just he's, he's such a rookie and a, an absolute 
goober that uh, I, I like in those games. <laughs> I think you got to go, for me, it's who'd win a fight. And like, yeah, yeah Joel, would, Joel would totally emasculate Leon. <laughs> Leon would wet himself within seconds of meeting Joel. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, that's, that is one thing I noticed. Um when when the Tommy and and uh, Joel and Sarah get separated, it's Resident Evil 2's opening where the the, yeah. the the tanker goes through and the and Claire and Leon get separated, and I was like, is that a little nod to that? I love it's, it. It's uh, the exact same thing. Yeah, that was great. I love it. I love it. Uh, guys, amazing chat. So I could probably do this for like three more hours, but look, we have several more weeks to do it as well. Mm. Um, so guys, but before we go, I, I don't want to give away any spoilers or context, but I do want a one word response for this. Okay. Just so a nod to the gamers listening and, and people who know, but again, we won't give any context for anyone who doesn't know one word response for this. What part of the game are you most looking forward to seeing in this season? Kev. Can I get two? Well, like, if you need two words, yeah. If it's not a one word or something, but like, yeah, no context. Oh, well, gymnasium. Oh. Ooh. Ooh, yeah. And machete. Ooh, okay. Okay. Oh, that's... Two tight. different scenes. But yeah. <laughs> okay. Bruiser. David. You creep. <laughs> no, you know when. You know when. You know when. <laughs> I, I, I'm thinking two as well. Um, one is university. Yes. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, I think the world is going to lose their fucking minds if they do that, right? Um, and the other one is, I think, I think everyone will agree with this. It's the easy answer. Giraffe. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's, that is, that's... Yeah. A wonderful yeah. one. It goes without saying. <laughs> uh, anyway, guys, look, pleasure. Can't wait to have more discussions. Thank you so much for joining me at uh, the two Kevins. And we're going to keep this up every week uh, throughout the series. So, uh, yeah, can't wait to have more chats. Thank Cheers, you. lads. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Fuck Tommy. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, that's all we have for this week on the first proper weekly edition of page 180 thank you so much for listening to the uh, next week big show we'll have a uh, reunion time as my old low blows pals katie harvey and corporate keen will be my guests on to give their thoughts on the last of us as people who haven't played the games before but are also big the walking dead fans so giving us another outside perspective on the show plus i hope to review the likes of babylon tara ennis main and new irish horror comedy let the wrong one in in the meantime join us with your own reviews uh follow us on social Social media, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all at page180pod. Send me a voicey on Insta with one minute spoiler free thoughts if you've watched any of the movies that we've covered or are covering next week. Till next time, this has been Page 180. And someone write me a list of things to say so I sound like I know what I'm talking about. Page 180.